Good morning. Glad to be here with you this morning. I want to pray as well. Thank you, Jesus, for this day. Thank you for everyone who's here. We lift up the Swaney family. I pray that they would not be given to a heart of despair. I pray that they would come to have strength and peace and hope that only comes from you. And anybody else who's come here today who's hurting or in pain or struggles of any kind, we just invite your presence here, Lord. Your word says that when we gather in your name, you are in our midst. And so we believe that. And we embrace that. And we thank you for that. We thank you that you are here with us this morning. I pray, Lord, that you would help me to preach your word. And that you would open ears and open eyes. And that everyone here would be able to receive from your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. So, many of you know, maybe some of you are here visiting for the first time, but many of you know that Brady is going through a series and preaching on the Torah, the first five books of, of the Bible, written by Moses. And he has asked me to uh, share on the book of Leviticus, which is an interesting book. And, you know, one of the things that I want to do today, as best I can is to really draw a bridge. I want to share from Leviticus. I don't pretend to be a biblical scholar on the Old Testament. I'm going to share it with you from what I would consider a very pragmatic sense. It's probably one of the least read books in the Bible by a lot of believers today, by a lot of Christians today. It is uh, full of commands and rituals instruction. It is a handbook from the Lord, in a sense, on daily living for his people. When they, and, and this book, when this book was written and then shared with the people, they were camped at Mount Sinai. Some would say that it took a day for the Lord to get Israel out of Egypt, but it took 40 years to get Egypt out of Israel. And I'm sure a lot of you have heard that comment before. This book, you know, in summary, this book talks about worship, and it talks about service, and it talks about obedience to a holy God. How many of you are, th I know you're thankful, but how many, how many, I'm thankful that we worship a living God. You know, in this time, there were many people who worshiped idols, graven images, statues. That was prevalent in that day. The thing that made Israel unique is the fact that they worshiped the God, the living God. We have a living God. Amen? I want to share with you a brief testimony about our living God. And I'm sure you all are full of testimonies as well. It's exciting to me just to see how real and how living our God really is. Last weekend, last Saturday, I had, um, actually I was woken by the Lord about 7.30 and reminded that, that I had a dear friend who is from El Salvador and she had been in town for the last few weeks. I'd missed her up to that point because I had been traveling on business in Mexico when I found out she was in town. But I promised her when I got back I would go see her, and I wanted to pray for her because the previous year she had been battling 
with cancer. Well, Friday I got back, and I had literally been up the entire night the day before, and I was exhausted, really went to bed, forgot all about her. But Saturday morning, I woke up, 7 o'clock, listening to one of my favorite preachers on the Internet, Reinhard Bonnke, and by 7.30, Sylvia pops into my head. I'm like, oh, no, I forgot I was supposed to go meet with Sylvia. So right away I texted her. This was 7.30 in the morning on Saturday. Are you still in town? Are you still here? She answered me back, I am. Well, I want to come see you. So I got a brother. I, I actually emailed, texted a couple brothers because I wanted to have somebody go with me. But one answered me back who's recently been through a real struggle uh, with his uh, four-year-old grandson who's been fighting for his life. Many of you have probably heard or seen on the news the story about Isaac Johnson. And the Lord has just done an amazing miracle there. And so I've got this buddy who's been doing all these amazing spiritual push-ups for the last four months and just really seeing God do amazing, amazing things and strong in his faith. So I thought, I'm going to have him come with me. And he did. But the funny thing is, on our way to go see her and pray for her, I had a phone call with another buddy out of Illinois who knew someone in St. Louis who'd come all the way to Kansas City. This is kind of a crazy story, I know, but this woman had come from St. Louis to Kansas City the day before because her sister, Cheryl, is and was fighting for her life. So after we went and prayed for Sylvia, we went on to a hospital in Kansas City to go pray for this Cheryl. Really tough deal, and, and I had called on Friday for an update. We had continued to pray for her, and I would called on Friday for an update and spoke to her sister, who is a believer, the woman that came from St. Louis, and she said, it does not look good at all. There is no brain activity at all. We're now trying to figure out issues of long-term care and, you know, what's next. So that was just two days ago. Then last night at 8.30, I got this text message from her. Hallelujah. Cheryl has turned the corner. She is waking up and obeying commands. She can shake her head yes and no and squeeze on command. She is breathing by herself tonight. If she continues to do this well, she may be extubated tomorrow. I'm so happy at this news. I feel so tired, LOL. Thank you for your prayers. God is answering in a big way. Please keep praying. We still have a long road to travel. So here we are on Friday. No signs of brain activity whatsoever. And here we are the very next day. She's responding to commands. Amen? Give the Lord a hand on that. That's awesome, isn't it? I, I, I share that message with you. For, I share that testimony with you for two reasons. Number one, please pray for Cheryl because she's still fighting for her life. Number two, to get back to my original topic, which is we worship a living God. We worship a living God. We worship a God who knows you, who has every hair on your head counted. And so that living God, now we jump into Leviticus, that living God who is holy, who is holy, it says in Leviticus chapter 11 says, I am the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. He says in Leviticus 19, 
the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father, and you shall keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. Do not turn to idols or make for yourselves any gods of cast metal. I am the Lord your God. So we have all these commandments. When you, when you read Leviticus, there are, over, there are over a thousand commandments in the New Testament. In Hebrews 10, it basically says that those were a temporary thing. That they had to sacrifice year after year after year. The people had to constantly be reminded of their sins. It says, Hebrews 10, Since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, there is a rem reminder of sins every year. You see, the most important date, I believe, for the people of Israel was Yom Kippur. It was that day in the, it was the most important date they had marked on their calendar. It was that day in the year when they would make sacrifices to atone for their sins. And it's interesting because we're told, if you go to Leviticus, the very first chapter of Leviticus, verse 3, it says, If his offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he shall offer a male without blemish. Constantly throughout this book, you see that the offerings and sacrifices were mentioned to be made without blemish. I would, I would draw a connection there between us today, and I think that something that's important for us to realize is that our sacrifice is for the Lord. And what does that look like? What does your sacrifice look like? Maybe your sacrifice means that you, are, that you have integrity with your tithe. Maybe it means that you're tithing on your time. Maybe your sacrifice and your worship to the Lord is in the attitude that you share and bear witness of him every day as you interact with other humans, that when, you, that when you're in a bad mood, you choose not to be or you choose uh, not to reflect that to others because you realize that you represent Christ. So it, it, it talks time and time and time again that that sacrifice is to be without blemish. And it's interesting because in Leviticus, it, it touches on so many topics. I, I actually had to list them all out because I, I couldn't remember them, but... Commandments relating to the following topics in Leviticus. Donations, sabbaticals, vows, ritual purity, sacrifices, eating animals, festivals, community, idolatry, war, social issues, family, judicial, slaves, torts, prohibitions, blasphemy, rules for priests, agriculture, business, justice. So Leviticus has all these rules about all these topics in life. It's another interesting thing that I believe... And again, I, I don't pretend to be a scholar on the Old Testament or on he Hebrew culture and history. But it's my understanding that when a, that the book of Leviticus was the very first book that Israel children, as they were you know, 12, 13, 14, as they began to have the instruction to, to study the Word of God, the very first book they were supposed to study was Leviticus. Did you know that? 
And it's interesting to me, it's interesting to me then, so if you can imagine, you have the, the typical Hebrew home, and they're instructing the young people in rules. In a sense, really posting them on the door of their house. Which again, if you think about it, it's almost a paradox to our culture today. Isn't it? Our culture today, we value freedom and independence, and nobody's going to tell me what to do. It's interesting that young Hebrew men and women knew by the time they were 12, 13, 14, right and wrong. Yet we see, for example, presidential candidates today, grown men and women, who seek the highest office in this nation, and many would argue in the world, still arguing over topics of right and wrong. Isn't that interesting? In the Hebrew household, you were taught right and wrong, and rules were established early on. Early on. Yet, you can see how society's fall. See, without the law, without understanding rules, without solid traditions in place, societies decay, and they fall away. And folks begin not to be able to establish that moral compass. They have no standard for what is right and what is wrong. That is why we have the Word of God. One of the, the Word of God is this wonderful love letter from God, but it is also a handbook from God. It is something that establishes rules and standards and regulations for living. And yes, if you study Leviticus, there were plenty of things in there about the judicial system. Imagine that. Imagine the difference. In, in, in that culture, in our, our culture has been very, you know, it, it, historically speaking, there are a lot, there are, there's a Hebrew kind of philosophy, Hebrew school of thought, which really has the God at the center of everything. Again, if you read Leviticus, you can see God is literally at the center of everything, the family relationship, war, how they conduct war. It even talks about how, it, 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 it's interesting, Leviticus, it, it even talks about how base camp is supposed to be set up. It's supposed to be disciplined and kept clean, and the soldiers are supposed to have a certain decorum. I wonder if we see that in, in, the, in the camps in the military today. But there was decorum. It's interesting because, which by the way, I'm a big supporter of the military. I've had family serve in the military since the revolution, believe it or not. So I, I support our military, and I don't make that comment anti-military, but what I'm trying to get across is the point that we truly lack a lot of discipline today in many avenues of our life. And I think that those lacks of discipline has also caused, continued to cause our separation from the Lord. Because again, we're told that the Lord is holy, that the Lord is pure, that the Lord is just, that the Lord is righteous. How can you understand... How can you understand why Christ, has anybody ever asked you that when you've been out sharing for your faith? Why does your, especially if it's from another culture? In the beginning was the Word, the Word was God, and the Word became God. When Christ was sacrificed for our sins, literally God gave up his own blood for us. He died for us. When we read in Romans, I'm going to skip to... Uh, I want to share with you Romans. I want to read with you. Actually, I'm going, to skip, I'm going to read Hebrews chapter 9. When Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, 
then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made by hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once and for all into the holy place, not by means of blood and goats and calves, but by means of his own blood. He gave up his own blood. He bled himself for us. And that is at the heart of the gospel. See, to understand the law and atonement, and then to understand when Christ comes in for our atonement, is to understand the very basis, the very foundation of the gospel, of that precious gospel message which says, Christ shed his blood for our sins. He entered once and for all, in, I'm in Hebrews chapter 9, not by means of blood and goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing eternal redemption. If the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with ashes of heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish, to God. Do you understand that that's why it was critical that Christ was sinless? So that he could become that most perfect offering? Therefore, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant. So that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. For where a will is involved, you get this? Now we're getting back into legal terms. God's using legal terms. Where there is a will involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. Do you get that? You see, we have an inheritance. What we have in salvation is literally an inheritance. But an inheritance cannot be passed on from a father to a son, for example, unless the father has literally passed away. That is why it mentions in here in Hebrews that the death has to be established. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. That, my friends, is why Christ hung on the cross. That is why he died and rose again three days later. That's it. It's really not that complicated, is it? It's really a very simple thing once we understand it. But when, when someone asks you about that, now you are able to defend the faith. If you didn't know that before, most of you probably did. But if you didn't know that before, you were able to defend the faith now in a greater way with a better explanation. That verse is Hebrews 9, 16. And Hebrews 10, 10 that's a great verse to remember because I think it's one of the most important verses really in the Bible. It, 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 bridges, it bridges the gap between Leviticus and the New Testament, the new, the new offering, the new covenant made by God for your eternal life. That's why it's important. That's why it's critical. We're talking about our souls for eternity. I'll read that again. By that... This is Hebrews 10, verses 1 through 10. I'm simply going to read verse 10. By that we will have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus once and for all. Do you get that? Once and for all, his sacrifice made for you once and for all, 
you need not you need not sacrifice on a yearly basis for the sins that you had committed you must repent Jesus says you must repent I, I would admonish you and encourage you to keep a clean slate before the Lord keep in repentance as the Bible says the sacrifice of the Old Testament did not actually remove sins that's what we learn in Hebrews 10 it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins rather the Levitical offerings covered sins until Christ came as the perfect sacrifice to take away all the sins of the world. And it's interesting because Leviticus is full of types and allusions to the person and the work of Jesus. This book written by Moses, and we know that, it, how do we know it was written by Moses? Well, in, in half of the beginning of each chapter, it says, and you can look it up in your Bible, I'm going to paraphrase, but it, it basically says, as given from the Lord to Moses. Here, let me find one so I can give you the... And the Lord spoke to Moses. And the Lord spoke to Moses. In the 27 chapters, half of them say that. And the Lord spoke to Moses. That's why we know, or we believe, that this book was written by the Lord, dictated to Moses. The Lord spoke to Moses. So if you can imagine... In a figurative sense, I don't know if Moses actually did the writing or Moses spoke it to a scribe, probably. But here's the Lord speaking to Moses and here's Moses writing it all down. And the Lord spoke to Moses. And the Lord spoke to Moses over and over and over again. It is mentioned in Leviticus. So, I want to summarize what is the purpose of Leviticus. I'd written a few notes to show Israel how to live as a priestly kingdom and a holy nation in fellowship with God, to provide a guide for worship, a law code, and a handbook on holiness for the priests, and to reveal God's grace as he accepts the death of a substitute as payment for the penalty of sin. And now you understand how Christ became that substitute. I want to talk about the law real quickly. This is very critical to me very important. One of the things that I have shared with my sons pretty well throughout their life, and I hope you share this with your children as well, what are the two most important commandments? The two most important commandments are to love God and to love others. To love God and to love others. It's really quite simple. In fact, we're told, I think it's in Matthew, let me find the, let me find the Scripture reference. Matthew 22, mark this in your Bibles if you would please. Teacher, which is the greatest, the great commandment of the law? See, always going back to the law. A good person trained up in the Israel and Hebrew tradition would always refer back to the law. Teacher, what is the great commandment of the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and all your mind. This is the great and the first commandment. And a second is like this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all of the law of the prophets. Do you see that? You see, someone can try all they want. To, they can turn back to Leviticus and they can live out Leviticus. They can sure try that. 
many things in there would, you know, it, it, it's good. There's a lot of good rules in there. But you know, they can follow every one of those rules in Leviticus, and if they don't love God and they don't love their neighbor, then it's all worthless. Which, by the way, how do we today offer a sacrifice to the Lord without blemish? How do we offer a sacrifice? Let's go back to that. Very first chapter, 1 verse 3. How do we offer a sacrifice to the Lord without blemish? I believe it is to love the Lord. It is to serve Him with a whole heart. I believe that God is much more interested in the motives of our heart. Did we do something in, in a pure and innocent way as to glorify the Lord? Have you ever stopped and picked up a piece of trash because you wanted to glorify God? Have you ever done that? Have you ever said an encouraging word to someone at work who you know likes to gossip about you and throw you under the bus simply because you wanted to glorify God? Have you ever chosen to perhaps not respond to a harsh word from your spouse and to try to react back in love, which I'm still working on improving that one? But have you ever chosen to do that simply to glorify God or not to boast simply to glorify God? Here's a, here's, here's a thought. Next time somebody says to you, hey, what are you doing this weekend? Think about this for a minute. I'm not sure yet because I'm waiting on instructions from the Lord. Have you ever taken a weekend or a Saturday morning and just said, God, the next four or five hours this day, I mean, really we should live every day that way, but... We live in a system and we are under time constraints and we do have commitments that we are to honor, correct? But have you ever taken, per se, your free time and offered that as a sacrifice to the Lord and said, Lord, this day is yours. I'm not going to make plans. I'm going to be available for what you have. It's funny when you do that because the phone will ring or you will run into people. Two Saturdays ago, um, I just went in town to go to the bank. And then my wife called me to go to the post office, and I realized I needed gas. And I stopped at the gas station, and I saw two people, a woman and her daughter, who I'd seen on a few other occasions lately. And you know, for me as the evangelist, if I see someone that I never see more than two times in a row in a short amount of time, I know that's the Holy Spirit. I know that's the Lord. So I stopped to get gas, get the chance to minister to these people, then I go to the bank, and on the way into the bank, I saw two precious uh, women that I'd known who had just lost their brother not too long ago, so I had the chance to minister to them. Then I go to the post office, and there's this guy that I kept wanting to invite to the church, and he's been on my heart a lot, and I run into him there. And so I got a chance to talk to him and minister to him. And see, that is what God can do and does for us if we offer that sacrifice without blemish and say, God... My time, and remember, let's get back to Leviticus. God says, have no idols before me. No idols. I would challenge you, my fellow Americans, that one of our biggest idols is our time. We are consumed with our time. Whether that is time spent making money, or time spent recreating, or time spent... My, this is my quality time with my family or my quality time with my wife. But doesn't a lot of times it become about my time? Are we in jeopardy of time becoming an idol that we even hold in our hand more preciously than we do 
our acts of worship, service, and obedience to the Lord, what we are taught in Leviticus can then become a foundation for how we live our lives. Worship, service, and obedience. Worship, service, and obedience. And I want to close by sharing my... Uh, I want to close by sharing... I, I read this devotional written by Oswald Chambers, My Utmost for His Highest. Many of you have probably heard of that. That devotional was put together after, posthumously, by the way. His, his precious wife, who knew her husband, just had all these incredible writings, I believe, back in the 1930s, put together this devotional, which has been on the desk of many presidents, many great, great men and women of God in our country in this, in this century. If you've never read My Utmost for His Highest, I would recommend that you do it. But the January 14th entry says this, Isaiah 6, 8, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Isaiah said, Here I am, send me. And here's what Oswald has to say about that scripture. God did not address the call to Isaiah. Isaiah overheard God saying, Who will go for us? The call of God is not for the special few. It is for everyone. If you're a believer in Christ, sitting right there in your seat, I want to challenge you to say that right now. The call of God is for me. Will you say that? The call of God is for me. Whether or not I hear God's call depends upon the state of my ears. And what I hear depends upon my disposition. Many are called, but few are chosen. We've, many of us have heard that scripture, correct? I want to give you Oswald's twist on that, which I agree with, by the way. That is, few prove themselves the chosen ones. The chosen ones are those who have come into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, whereby their disposition has been altered and their ears unstopped, and they hear the still small voice questioning all the time, will you go for us? Us meaning the, the Trinity speaking there. Will you go for us? Will you go for me? Do you hear that still small voice? Does it resonate in your heart every morning? Does it resonate? Is, is it something that tugs at your heart that you can't deny? Will you go for me? Will you serve me? Will you obey me? Will you love others on my behalf? Will you share the gospel? Will you pray for the sick? Will you go for me? Does that tug on your heart every day? They hear the still, small voice questioning all the time, will you go for us? It is not a question of God singling out a man and saying, now you go. I want you to hear this. I want you to hear this because it is easy for us. I struggled with this topic many years ago. Knowing I was called by God, knowing I was called, but waiting, constantly waiting, waiting, waiting. Okay, God, give me your instructions. God, give me your instructions. You know what? Reinhard Bonnke says, when, when the traffic light turns green, you hit the gas. You go. We aren't sitting at a red light. We're sitting at a green light. God has given us his commands. God has given general commands for all of us to go and serve him and reach and love others on his behalf. Get out of your mind the idea of expecting God to come with compulsions and pleading. If you're waiting on God to plead to you, Justin, Dan, Brady, I'll single a few more out, but that's enough. Yesenia, if, if we're waiting on God, if we're waiting on God to plead with us to go, it ain't going to happen. 
That isn't how it works. When our Lord called his disciples, there was no irresistible compulsion from the outside. The quiet, passionate insistence of his follow me was spoken to men with every power wide awake. If we let the Spirit of God bring us face to face with God, we too shall hear something akin to what Isaiah heard, the still small voice of God and a perfect freedom, and he will say, here I am, send me.